0: Well, good morning, friends. It's good to to be with you today. And I'm curious, how many of you have actually stopped, checked your weather app this morning? It says it's going to be, like, near the mid-80s today. It's ridiculous, man. It's the middle of October in the pacific northwest we're not supposed to reach those temperatures it's like i'm thinking about going outside after the service and it's going to be like sweltering out there in comparison to what it should be but then i thought about it and i thought nah it's gonna be way hotter in here today right and the reason is because we are having the talk birds and the bees church style we're talking about where jesus meets sex life today Whoa, all right, so here's the thing with all of that, right? Right now, even some of you are thinking like, oh, he said Jesus and sex together, and they don't go together. Which of these things is not like the other? Like, that's the feeling of all of that. And you're thinking like, why didn't we stay home today? Why didn't the Mariners win? And we'd all be at home with shoes on our heads, getting ready for the next game today and, and everything else. And yet, uh, here's what I want you to do right off the bat. I want to be really clear. Um, my motivation in heart today is to not be a shock jock, uh, my plan here is not to say things that make you unnecessarily uncomfortable, uneasy, feeling like, oh man, this is just too much at church. This is not going to be R-rated today, all right? This is going to be firmly PG. Now, with that, I know that some people's PG is not like other people's PG. Like, I get all of that. But I'm going to work really hard to try to deal with this in a thoughtful and, and understanding way, because here's what I know. I know that we all come into the space, maybe pertaining to this subject, at different levels with different challenges, different levels of comfort, different concerns in this whole arena. And what I don't want to have happen is if in the first couple of minutes, all of us are like perspiring and sweating, like watching like the defense take the field for the Hawks. We're nervous about it. It's not going to go well, probably. I don't want any of that. My heart and my goal is to talk about something that's sensitive in such a way that it brings help, it brings hopefulness, and maybe even a little bit of healing. That's the spirit behind all of this. And so I want to remind you with that, that we have an app and there's notes in the app that you can follow along with. But as I also go into praying for us this morning, I just want you to know that, that my sensitivities are, are really strong on this one today. Like I've dealt with this topic in the past and there's been times where I've said things or done things that I knew just, man, people are like, that's too far, too much. I'm really gonna be in my best behavior because we talked about communication last week and I'm trying to take that to heart. So, So that's my motivation. Um, And it was great this morning. I was down at the gym, and I was talking to this guy I just recently met. And I told him this morning that I'm a pastor. And he goes, dude, that's awesome. I'm a Christian too. He goes, what are you preaching on today? I said, sex. And here's what he said. Dude, let me stop and pray for you right now and for your church. (laughs) And he did right there at the gym. He prayed for you all. He prayed for me. So we're in good hands, all right? But I'm going to go ahead and pray right now as well. Get our hearts settled, and then we're going to get right underway. So let's go ahead and do it together. Jesus, I I thank you that you have established this beautiful bond that we're going to be talking about today. And yet we also come before you and we acknowledge that this beautiful thing has gone a lot of different directions in our world. And from that, uh, it's left different wounds, different challenges, different insecurities, uh, different just kind of sore spots, maybe even in people's lives, or maybe there's confusion or shame or any number of things. And and I can't get a hold or ahead of what everybody might be wrestling with on this, but, but I want to navigate this in a way that is honorable to you and helpful to others. And so we ask for a special measure of your spirit and your guidance. And so help us to uh, interact with this in a way that is, again, holy and helpful and honest and heartfelt and from that healing in the process. And so Jesus, we look to you today, we love you, and we thank you. We seek you now, and you're good in understanding name. Amen. So uh, this is a topic that over the course of years, I've tried to wrestle through a lot from the perspective of being a pastor and talking about it uh, in the context of a church service on Sunday mornings. And, and every time I kind of come back around to it, I realize the level of complexity that's around this for different people. And I think it's complicated for a few different reasons. I think one, just in the spirit of honesty, is the fact that it's deeply connected to our biology and our chemistry, and that in and of itself is kind of an unpredictable factor. It's hard to fully wrap our minds around. In fact, the complexity is so deep that uh, there's this great TED talk that's out there, and it gets into how men and women are so uniquely different at times on this subject that a team of researchers wanted to put it together as a formula right so literally they said all right we think that there is a formula for sex and women and there's a formula for sex and men and what would that formula look like and so if if you have a chance to look at the TED talk I think it's called sex and mathematics or mathematics and sex and and they came up with a formula for women and they said this is how complicated it is for women that is the formula for women's hormones related to sexuality, and this is a legitimate deal. This is real research out of Australia, and I look at that and I go, now I understand why I don't fully understand my wife. I don't understand that. I'm not a mathematician, but I know that I'd be guessing the answer, right? And even I think for my wife, she goes, yeah, I'm complicated, I don't fully understand myself. So I go, man, women are certainly complex in this arena, but here's the formula for men. That's legitimate. They're like, men are way more complicated way more challenge, way more trying to figure it out. And I know that as a dude, right? I'm like, man, I don't fully understand myself at times. And so to take these two formulas and bring them together, that's a lot of math, right? And so we understand those are some of the challenges just biochemically in our person. But then there's another layer that I think makes us sometimes hard for us as people. And that has to do with the fact that, you know what? We all have different experiences. We all grew up in different ways. We were exposed to different uh, environments or whatever else. And that all has an impact on trying to have a single talk today on sex. Right? For some of us, and and this is where I want to be really, really sensitive, um, and I want to be um, clear in my heartbreak for those in this room that might be in the space where they say, you know what, when it comes to this, Matt, uh, I was exploited in some way. I was exploited. I was either molested as a kid, or I was in a relationship that was unhealthy, and that dynamic was an unhealthy dynamic in the relationship, or there was some kind of assault, or at work I I, I was treated more as an object than as a person. I was treated based on my gender more than I was treated based on my abilities, whatever it is. I understand in that environment, this topic, talking about it today may be like, that's heavy. You don't think in terms of, oh, sex is this gift. You go, sex is a burden or a grief in my life. I I, I can't speak to all of that, but I want you to know I get it, which is why I want this to be a sensitive approach to our topic. Because, man, many people have been wounded in our world by being exploited in that way. Now, I think there are others, and their context is different, where they grew up in a Christian context, and for them, sex was something that was taboo, that was shamed, that was kind of so secluded that there was never interaction with it in a way that created comfort or health inside the soul of a person. So every time it would come up, it was just like, it was wrong, it was bad, until you're married, then it's good, but we don't really discuss it, and therefore, there was all this baggage about how do I view it, how do I engage it, how do I talk about it, what's the pure way, what's the impure way, lots of damage that's been done to people in that context as well. And more and more that's kind of being revealed that our purity culture that we created as Christians and churches really had a negative impact on healthy expression in marriage. And so that might be you. And so this topic today already makes you nervous because like, we're talking about it at church, we're not supposed to talk about it at church. But then there's others, and maybe you had unhealthy or unwholesome or overexposure in ways that you go, man, um, I, I, I engaged in things, I decided on things, I formed habits or appetites, things that are still in my life, hidden, secret, not known, whatever else, and you go, for you, you go, um, it's just shaped me in such a way that's detrimental, and I feel the weight of that. See, like, there's this spectrum, right? The spectrum goes all the way from how the sexual revolution said, everything's fine, and now people are picking up the pieces of that, all the way to the church context of the purity culture, and you're like, now I'm uncomfortable with everything, and I don't know what to do with it. Like, all of that is in play. And I just want to acknowledge that on the front end. Again, I can't speak to all of it, but I want to acknowledge it because I think that is the challenge. We all, at some level, may have baggage or sensitivity or dissatisfaction. And thus, my hope is to help. And much of this, what I'm trying to drive toward today was the, is the idea uh, that that you as a couple or as a person or whatever it is, would have an open and honest ability to move toward healthy communication on this topic. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, last week was about communication. The week before was about marriage. And today, that's my goal. So this is less about the action of... Of sexual intimacy and more about how to have communication as it relates to that activity in married life that's the heart behind this and I want to do this not just for couples but also I want to do this for all of us that are raising kids or any of us who are single and we know that one day this is gonna be a part of our life we need to create some context in which healthy conversation can emerge right because again I know it can be uncomfortable But we want to talk about it because when I think about what God did in this arena is that he pressed this pretty deeply into our human condition, right? He pressed it into our identity to some degree, right? Male and female. He pressed it into our biology. We all find that out when we hit puberty. And he pressed it into our psyche. It runs deep. And so with that, then, I want to start in the place of the theology of sex, which seems a little strange as well. Can you have a theology of sex? And I go, yes, you can. And we can make this really deep, really complicated. We can make it like the formula on the screen, but I'm going to keep it relatively simple and help us understand that number one in your notes, if you're taking notes with us today, this first key theological idea is this. Sex is Is blessed. So I want us to get comfortable with the idea that it's not like a thing that you, you you just, it's a part of life, you have to do it, it's a responsibility. No, when God established it, he says, man, I want you to know it's blessed. Now this first point, I thought about calling it other things like the holy hookup. <laughs> or the godly get down, that was another one I really liked. Or the biblical boom chicka wow wow. Like I thought that would be cool. But then I thought some people are go, he said pg that's not pg so it's blessed all right sticking with that but here's the thing about this right it's blessed by god in such a way that it's meant to reveal him and show him and celebrate him in the context of these things and so this is where i want us to get our minds wrapped around this and we don't have to go far in the bible to see it it's on the very first page And we've looked at this text already in the series, but I want to bring our attention to it again as it relates to this subject matter. So in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Notice the plurality there, right? Father, Son, and Spirit are engaging in this activity, right? So in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, and he said, Be fruitful and multiply. And then in chapter two, it describes their context as a couple together. It says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, Now, there's a couple of things about this that I think are really helpful. The first is it gives us a sense of God's priority on the subject. So, God makes people, and before, notice this, before He gives any moral code, any religious creed, any sense of ethical foundation, the very first thing He commands these people to do is to procreate, to engage in this intimacy that can lead to children. But the purpose isn't just to have children, the purpose is their engagement together, which is why then in chapter two, He describes them as naked and not ashamed. There was no insecurity. There was no awkwardness, no oddity. No, this is strange that we're just kind of hanging out, sunbathing together. It was super normal for them. And it was beautiful. And in that, it's a dynamic that shares and shows the image of God. So when we look at God, he's a trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. And that oneness has intimacy in it. And then that oneness of intimacy says, let's create human beings and we're gonna bring them together in a oneness of intimacy that's as mysterious as the Trinity itself. And that oneness between a husband and wife is actually more triune because it's husband, wife, and God is bonding that together. So when couples, when married people come together in this context, it's like magnifying who God is as a Trinitarian being was like this Trinitarian nature to husband, wife, and God together bonding in intimacy. In a weird sort of way, you can say those moments, that dynamic, is like a worship service. You're welcome, right? I say that because, again, sometimes it's like, oh, it's this necessary component to keep the world and life going, and it's like, no, it's more than that. God's like, man, this is this is what I made it to be. This is blessed by me. This is beautiful. This is good. This is important. The other reason I think it's Critical to understand this passage here is because then what it does is it sets our bearings as to what our conscience should think and feel about this topic. What I'm trying to highlight there is again, their conscience in Genesis 2 was naked and unashamed. So the topic didn't feel weird, the topic wasn't awkward or uncomfortable, it was very open. Right? It was it was very encouraged, it was very beautiful in that sense. And and I bring this up because listen, I do think in our world that there are things that relate to sexuality that are abuses, misuses, uh exploitive, whatever else. And those things we should say, yeah, there should be a sense of being ashamed attached to that. Infidelity, extending the bounds of what this was designed to be Like all of that, not, I don't mean like shame like I'm trying to shame anybody But we should go like, yeah, there's grief, there's brokenness There's unhealthiness, there's wrongness attached to many things on this topic But when it comes to the conscience of a, 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 a married kind of context That should be this spirit here Of this naked and unashamed It shouldn't be strange, it should be seen as, as wonderful and safe and encouraged. That's what it reveals. And and I bring this up because, again, I, I earlier talked about kind of the Christian purity culture. And, and over the years, as Ellen and I have done counseling with people, and she and I have done some podcasts together on this topic because of so many experiences, we, we found that there was this unintended consequence, right? Where we wanted to raise up kind of our kids or youth groups or teenage christians into adults or whatever else we wanted to raise them up in a godly fashion and trying to impart godly ideas we actually did some damage to the conscience in such a way that it put baggage on the conscience that wasn't meant to be there we made it uncomfortable so there's a number of examples of this so one example would be like uh you know while i was in youth ministry we go to camp every year and what would we do we create all these rules for the girls at camp We'd say, you know, you have to wear a T-shirt and a one-piece bathing suit because boys are gonna struggle with lust. And because they may misbehave, we need you to behave in a right way so they don't misbehave. And so we put the pressure more on the girls to behave than the guys to behave. And what we kind of did in there said, well, it's about modesty, but our modesty was more about morality in my eyes based on what I thought. And so for years, we said, cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up. And then one day you get married and we say, now stop being covered up. And, And like these women go like, I was told for so long that it's kind of bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. I couldn't shift gears into it's good because it wrote on my conscience too much a thing. Or young men who we go, man, they're really lustful. They're going to have all that biology going on. They have a big, complicated formula. And so don't talk about it with them too much. Like, you have the one conversation, the birds and the bees. Maybe you have a couple, like, fix-it conversations because you find out something. But you don't have a regular conversation because it's just going to make them more interested. So we didn't teach them to communicate. And then they get into marriages, and they go, well, I married this godly woman. I don't want to look like I'm a weird, sex-crazed pervert, so I don't know how to talk to her because if I talk about it, it seems like I'm too into it, and I don't want to do that, so there's no conversations. Or, or it's a fascinating one. Ellen and I have run across Christian women who go, man, I have real interest in this area. I have a certain level of drive, but everybody says men have that drive, women don't have that drive, but I have that drive, so am I weird now? I don't know how to talk to my husband about it because they don't think I'm weird, and so there's no communication. Or we talk about communication, but it's so layered and so guarded and so read between the lines and it, it, it doesn't really get to the, to the root of how do you interact in such a way where you're open about your needs, your wants, your fears, your concerns, your interests, things that are helpful, things that are harmful. Like, How do we get to that space? See, all of the purity culture elements kind of put these things in the way and saddled our consciences in, in such a fashion that it's created greater barriers Instead of communication, it's created walls So in the name of God, we sort of incorporated uh, these, these extra burdens That became so heavy to bear we, we don't quite know how to dig out And so part of my heart today then Is to really get to this heart of a godly conscience on the topic And that's both for individuals As well as couples as well as how we impart these things to the next generation. And I believe the best way to do that is not by sheltering, but rather by exposing. Because exposure is something that I see demonstrated in the Bible. I'm not just a fan of trying to say, hey, more ideas is better because, hey, that's what I think. No, it's because it's actually been proven to me in the Bible. And here's where we're gonna go with this. So uh, there are 66 pieces of literature that make up the Bible. We call those books of the Bible, but they're pieces of literature. So there's these 66 occasions where God speaks into the world, and there's different themes in each one of those pieces of literature, but God does this wonderful thing. He says, of the 66, I'm going to set one aside simply and exclusively for the purpose of this topic, of intimacy, of sexuality, of marriage, and how it should all play out. And this particular piece of literature is known as the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, right? And and this is really interesting to me, because uh, of all of the Bible, Solomon is recorded as having contributed to three works. He gave us Proverbs, which is filled with wisdom. He's given us Ecclesiastes, which is filled with realities about life. And then there's this third component, this Song of Songs, and if you were to ask Solomon, hey, what's your favorite thing that you worked on? What's the best thing you ever produced that went into publication? He would say it's actually Song of Songs. Like Proverbs, the school, Ecclesiastes is helpful, but Song of Songs really matters because it starts in chapter one, verse one, it says this. This is Solomon's Song of Songs. It's like the top end of the spectrum. It's more wonderful than any other. So on the Bethlehem Billboard 100 of all time, Right, This is number one. It sat at the number one spot for almost 3,000 years. And even in rabbinical tradition, they look at all the songs of the Old Testament, and they go, man, Moses had some great victory songs, and, and Deborah had some really beautiful songs, and David wrote a ton of great songs, but the most important song is this one right here. It's this love song, right? It's kind of the romance track of the Old Testament. And it gives us some guidance on how to maybe interact with this subject matter. Now, if I had the time, I would kind of walk through all the Song of Solomon. That would be great. Uh, we don't have the time, but I'm going to hit some thematic highlights here that I think are helpful, both as tools for permission-giving on this topic, and also for direction in our relationships to begin conversation. So the first thing to get us comfortable here is we want to understand that Song of Solomon speaks of sex openly. So if we're talking about how do we engage a subject in Christian context, in families, in marriages, man, the first thing is openly. Notice what the wife says to the husband here in chapter three and about him even in that context. She says, one night as I lay in bed, I yearned for my lover. I yearned for him, but he did not come. So I said to myself, I will get up and roam the city, searching in all its streets and squares. I will search for the one that I love. So she's out, she's looking, she's interested. She loves her guy, right? So she says, I searched everywhere, but I did not find him. The watchmen stopped me as they made their rounds. And I asked them, have you seen the one that I love? Then scarcely had I left them that I found my love and I caught him and I held him tightly and then I brought him to my mother's house into my mother's bed where I had been conceived. Now there's a part of you that says, "Ooh," Like you went to your mother, this is strange. But I wanna flip this a little bit. This is the woman in the Bible being recorded for all time showing how desperately pursuant she is of the man she loves. See, in our world today, we'd say she's sex positive, which some people go, oh, no, sex positive. No, she is in every biblical good way sex positive. She's not, you know, shy. She's not intimidated. She's, she's like, no, this, this is the healthy expression of what this is all about. And so she's in pursuit, and she's modeling the beauty that God sees in this interaction. It's not shameful. It's wonderful, right? That's the essence of what we want to gather from Solomon's song. And I love the way it's just constructed, right? She's like looking around, runs into Paul Blart, mall cop, right? Have you seen my guy? He's like, no, I haven't seen. It. And then eventually she sees him and then she grabs a hold of him. She's hugging him and kiss him. And she's like, okay, we need to be together, but home is too far. Let's go to my parents' house. Like that is super wild to me. And then they show up and mom and dad are like, yeah, that's great. Just make sure you turn up the radio, you know, or whatever. And then they go into mom and dad's bed. And there's a generational thing in this that I think is really, really cool. She's like, we're going to go and do in my parents' bed what they have done and brought me to this place. See, there's nothing shameful about this. There's nothing awkward or odd. It's a celebration of the heritage of healthy sex. And it's in the good book. But then it continues. We also see that Song of Solomon speaks of sex vividly. Not distastefully, but it leverages these colorful euphemisms and and vivid descriptions. In fact, there's a couple of passages I'm gonna read to you, and I read these at every wedding that I do, right? So when I'm an officiant, I always read these passages. And every time I do, I tell the people, when you listen to these, I want you in your mind as you listen to pretend as though it's Michael Scott from The Office reading these to you, because it gives you, I think, a little bit of the edge and the spirit So the man says of his wife, and he says to her, You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices. And Michael Scott would say, if you know what I mean, right? Like it's this, ooh, playful and then the wife says to her husband, Awake north wind, rise up south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love, and taste its finest fruits. And Michael would say, that's what she said, right? There is something here where you go like, the most risque thing Matt's going to say all day is just read the Bible. Right? I'm, I'm going to stay pretty healthy. This is the thing that will make you sweat. But I love that it's celebrating this. And if you drill this down to the core, what this does is upends a notion that we call in our culture, dirty talk. It's not dirty talk, it's godly talk. It's blessed talk, it's beautiful talk, it's honoring talk, it's holy talk, to talk to your spouse in such a way that encourages, inspires, builds up, establishes confidence, reaffirms beauty, right? Like all of that is in this space. In fact, if we had time, I would take you through all the places where, in Song of Solomon, the husband and the wife—they are going to great lengths to celebrate and describe one another's bodies, like to great lengths. Like it's legs, navel, breasts, abs, hair, teeth. On the teeth, it's like, hey, you got all of them. I love that. But they're still, you know, it's all there, right? But it's gonna say stuff that makes you go, is this supposed to be in the Bible? And God's like, why do you think I put it there? So my people are comfortable with the topic, right? Because it's love extending, life enriching, and courage endowing. And so if you go home today and you go, I'm gonna read Song of Solomon, you're gonna read it and you're gonna go, wow, this is saucy and it's sacred. Remember that, it's saucy, but it's sacred. Another thing we see in Song of Solomon is that it speaks of sex playfully. When you read this, you see that this couple is having a ton of fun, right? And not just in the act of, it's everything that surrounds it. It's like there's this building suspense that's all woven into the equation. So listen to what the woman says. She says, ah, oh, I hear my lover coming. He's leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a swift gazelle or a young stag, right? Like I love these pet names, man. Call your guy a young stag tomorrow. Says, look, there he is behind the wall looking through the window, peering into my room. Now, I know that seems a little weird, but what it is is he just loves to, to look at her when she doesn't even know she's, he's looking, right? Like he's just so enamored with her. She says, then my lover said to me, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. So they're like, let's go, let's go play. Let's go travel. Let's go do some stuff. Let's go kind of frolic around the fields a little bit. That would be awesome. So affirming. Then it continues into chapter five. She says, I slept, but my heart, my heart was awake, right? And, and it was awake, and then I heard my never lover knocking, and he was calling, open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, and my perfect one. Again, I love the pet name stuff. They have a lot of pet names for one another. He says, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. She says, but I responded, I have taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? Should I really come out and play? But what she's doing, she's teasing him. Not in a mean way, but in a really fun, enjoyable way. In other words, they're having fun, kind of joking around together, playing together, building the suspense, right? Then we see what happens next. Chapter 5, verse 4. My lover tried to unlatch the door, and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love. And my hands, they dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with the lovely myrrh. As I pulled back the bolts. I opened the door to my lover, but he was gone. See, there's this push-pull. They're not rushing to this event. They're savoring it. They're enjoying one another in the process of it. Again, it's building, and all of that is in the good book don't read Song of Solomon like, oh, that's the part where everybody was doing the wrong thing. No, this is where they're doing the right thing. So in the same way that we might look and say, well, God made sex to be pure and special and sacred, I go, absolutely. And fun, silly, playful, vivid, expressive, verbal. All of that is also true. Those are good things, not bad things. Right things, not wrong things. Now, here's another one I think is really important for us as parents. Song of Solomon speaks of sex generationally. What I mean here is that throughout this whole description, the woman is telling the virgin girls everything her and her husband does. And her brothers get pulled into it later. Right, So there isn't this sense of, okay, you just tell them simple functionality and walk away. No, there's this kind of almost like bragging, celebrating, kind of enjoying the storytelling. Girls, you got to know about this. Guys, you know about that. We do this. We do that. We go here. We go there. His house, my house, the field, the vineyard, the flowers, like they're everywhere. And they're bragging it up. And that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, because instead of saying, hey, we need to shelter them until they're married, the attitude in the Old Testament for the Jewish people was no, we have to inform them heavily because one day they're going to be married. Don't hide it from them, right? You you want them to really understand the full dynamic of this thing. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. And it appears that the young people were listening. We see the young women of Jerusalem, they say, oh, lover and beloved, so husband and wife, Eat and drink. Yes, drink deeply of your love. It's like they have a fan club of the young people. And then later with the brothers, it seems they get pulled into it, and I don't want to get into it here because it might move it a little bit into the R-rated scene, and I'm not going to get in trouble for that. But if you go read commentaries on chapter 8 about the the, the young men and how they're seeking to build up their sister, there's all this connection to they understand what this is all about. She's going to enter into marriage, and they want to reinforce all of that for her so she'll be blessed. And, and, and so when I look at this, I go, contrary to the idea that the Old Testament was sheepish prudes, what we see instead is they spoke often and openly and passionately about the beauty, excitement, and fun of sexual intimacy. They did that. And just as a moment of just openness in, in my own world, uh, Ellen and I, when we knew we were gonna have kids We knew that this was going to be utterly important, that this was a regular thing in their world. So by the time they were like four or five, that's when we started the conversations. We found really great books to kind of take them through. Hey, here's the physiology, here's the function. It's appropriate to your age. And then we made sure on an incredibly regular basis to have conversations about sex and intimacy and their bodies and their feelings and everything else. And in this too, we taught them that, hey, this is special for mom and dad. This is something we make space for. So when our kids were little and they come to the bedroom door and it was locked, they knew why it was locked. And we'd say, hey, if it's locked, it's because mom and dad are having special time. Just go ahead and lay down at the door and we'll find you when we unlock the door and you'll just be laying there with your blanket and your pillow, right? And they're like, okay, we get it. So our kids would joke, like, oh, mom and dad had sex last night. And they were like nine, seven, and five. But you know what? By the time they were teenagers, you know what that afforded us? Open conversations about life with teenagers, where they would share with us their tr- struggles, their challenges, their realities, their feelings. And for our oldest, who's now married and has two kids, that's one of the things, she says, thank you so much that you guys just saturated us with an environment that made these conversations healthy, even fun, and, 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 and not weird to the conscience. So That's what we can offer to the next generation. But in this, there's another lesson that's also important, which is Song of Solomon speaks of sex wisely. Wisely, so it's not just so flippant. It doesn't have any sense of barrier or warning. Three different times, in chapter two, chapter three, and chapter eight, the woman says, promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. So it's not just like inform everybody and then it's a free-for-all. No, it's like, hey, understand it. Enjoy it celebrate it know the dynamics of it And then realize it's it's a precious thing and it's designed for a certain climate It's not to be casual. It's not to be flippant. It's not to be detached It is meant to be a resource and a sanctuary of marriage and so that is also encouraged in the book and see I want to be clear that God doesn't encourage this simply because he wants to be a buzzkill Right? He doesn't say, hey, I, I want this to be kept in a certain context because I just want to set you up for failure, or I want to work against your biology. No, I, I believe the reason that God puts these parameters as he does, and he secludes it to a certain space, is something very simple. It's the next thing in your notes. He knows that sex is powerful. It's a blessing, but it's also powerful, It has the power to create tight bond between husband and wife. It has the power to create life itself. That's powerful. But it also has the power to destroy relationships, families, psyches, right? So it has all kinds, whether it be through abuse or through neglect, both of those, abuse and neglect, can both be destructive. I think the power of sexuality and sex is seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read this from the message. It's going to be a couple of passages I read from the message, because I think it just gives us the spirit of it in a different sort of way. And so this is what Paul says, as interpreted by Eugene Peterson. He says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given, God-molded love, for becoming one with another, or... Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God has paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. No, God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. See, the power is captured there pretty well. It reminds us there's no such thing as casual sex or harmless adult entertainment, or carefree hookup culture. It reminds us of those things, right? Those things would be downplaying its power. But it also reminds us uh, that there's no such thing as a close, tight-knit, deeply intimate marriage that is devoid of this kind of intimacy. That also is problematic because it's neglecting the power that bonds two people together in oneness. That sex is, like I said, a power that can destroy or to create. Now, the paradox in this is the next thing in your notes. It's it's weird that sex is powerful, but it's also fragile. In fact, the way I would model this is sex is much like a Saguaro cactus, all right? That's going to be my analogy for this. I'm a kid from Arizona, all right? So I know this cactus pretty well. And it is powerful, it's huge, it's thick, it's tall, it has deep, strong roots as far as its ability to survive all sorts of things. It's got these spikes all over it. You're like, what could destroy this cactus? One thing, move it. Remove it from its environment and put it in a different environment and you kill it. It withers and dies. The only place these cactus will live and thrive is in Southern Arizona and Northern Mexico, on the whole planet. You take one and you move it to any other desert in the world, it will die. Because it's meant for something particular and unique and special, and there it thrives. But you extract it from that space, and it begins to die. And the same is true when it comes to all of the expressions that we can engage in sexually that are not healthy or helpful right? That's where it begins to wither. And it can wither in all sorts of ways, and all sorts of contexts. So for some, it may be visual, right? You're you're going to sources visually that you shouldn't go, that are outside of what God designed it for, and that will cause it to decay and wither. Or for others, it's textual. You go, you know what, there's no romance in my marriage, so I read things where there's all this romance and intimacy and sex and chase and fun, and, and it makes you almost like, man, I don't like what I have, and I wish I had this thing, or you see somebody else's spouse, and you're like, oh, I wish my spouse was like them. They, they, they're so romantic. They have it so together. They're so sexy. They're whatever you might think. That's going to spoil it in your own world as you long for some other world that's artificial, right? Or emotional bonds, right? Where you're just like, I'm more emotionally attached to this other person than I am to my spouse. All of that robs. It risks decay, and it risks the sense of destruction. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, honor marriage, and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. And again, that happens in all sorts of formats. It's not all the activity, sometimes it's just the thought, the imagination, whatever else. And I've seen in many contexts and many ways where this has brought hurt, and and just to to be empathetic again, I've seen where it brings hurt both to the person that feels that they were betrayed and the person that engaged in that action. I've seen both deeply grieved in different ways over that. That's where I'm like trying to help us all say, let's not cross those lines. It brings so much pain, and I don't want pain for people. I want blessing and joy for people, or I think about the families that are affected by this. It's scale, right? Kids and grandkids and just thanksgiving suddenly sucks you know because it's just all the all of the the bonding got pulled out of the environment because these lines were crossed and so again i don't think god says this to be a killjoy i don't say this to shame anybody or to re-engage old wounds but to remind us going forward that these things are powerful and they're fragile and therefore we want to be sensitive we want to be aware we want to be guarded in these things But the last way we want to be guarded is we want to remember number four in your notes, this final thing. Sex, it's necessary. It's necessary. As I alluded to a moment ago, um, there's all kinds of ways that it can be abused. But there's also all sorts of ways that it can be neglected. In other words, in the context of our marriages, maybe you go, man, it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been years. And I understand there's going to be certain medical things that can be true to that. I understand as we get older, things change. So I don't want to take away from any of that. But outside of the, the natural, understandable kind of flows of life, if you go, man, this has always been like a boulder in our relationship. It's just in the middle of the field and we keep working around it. Where we can't talk about it because it's too uncomfortable, it's too awkward, it's too weird. There's sensitivities here, there's wounds there. Uh, there's a sense of just, you know, like, I'm, I'm ashamed of my body, I'm ashamed of my thinking. But all, the, all the tragic things, like the devil wants to lie into the relationship. This is where we want to go, man, we want to push past all of that and get to a space that's much more healthy, at least, at least in the communication because there's so many people that I talk to where there's just words unstated and, and, and things that don't feel solved and it just gets neglected and it creates more wounds. And what my encouragement is is that we move toward freedom and health and openness. Here's why. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, Now, getting down to the question you asked in your letter to me, first... Is it a good thing to have sexual relations? So it appears the church said, Paul, we have questions on this because there's a lot of people engaged in a lot of things. What's your take? And so he says, Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeks to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a time if you both agree to it and for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Here's why. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least Expected. Now, there's a number of things in there that would be great to unpack, but three things that really stand out to me. First of all, he says, Man, healthy sex in marriage is healing in a broken world, it's expressing something beautiful in a broken world. The second thing is that he says, Hey, sex means in marriage that it's more about giving than taking. It's more about investing than wanting to just pull an investment for yourself. And so, again, it has the same dynamic as love itself. It's like, I'm pouring into you, and you pour into me, so I want to pour more into you, so you pour into me. It's that same kind of dance. And then with this, he's saying a healthy sex life and marriage requires regularity, intentionality, and communication. Otherwise, it puts things at risk. And I want to be clear, this whole thing— it doesn't start when you close the door and lock it and go off to the bedroom. Now, this is an all-day thing. Again, that's what we even learn in Song of Solomon. So it's all the other little ways that you love, you care, you reinforce, you encourage, you build up, you take care of one another. That's the whole template, right? It's not just this single little bit of time in life. It's the whole thing. But but Paul says you want to do this because if not, Satan can get in there and, and make a mess. And a lot of times we read this and go, oh, well, the way he makes the mess is he tempts us to be lustful and do things with sex that's wrong. I go, that can happen sometimes, but I don't think that's the primary thing he does. I think what he loves to do in this arena when we neglect this for long periods of time is he likes to create discord and disruption and disunity, right? Because I know like Ellen and I, again, just in transparency, we'll start to get off the rails with one another and we're bidey and short and everything else. And there are times where we say, you know what, we are just going in the bedroom, locking the door and we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna solve this and this is gonna be the result too. Like we need to rebond again because we've not been bonded, right? And, and, and so in this, it's just saying this is the priority and this is important, it's necessary. So one are some tools that I want to leave you with here really fast to encourage you to do, to work toward these things if this is something you need to work toward. First is this, learn to talk or work through things openly. And maybe you need to go to a counselor, that's awesome, there's no shame in that. Right? And maybe it's just initially you as an individual need to go to a counselor to get comfortable with the conversations and then you bring your spouse in. I don't know what it is, but learning to get comfortable to have these open conversations. The second thing is become playful. I don't just mean in that singular context. I mean in life. Right? There's something about that that just it's preparatory for something deeper. Here's another one. Accept that nothing is more spontaneous than I In other words, put it on your calendar. That's okay. Like when you read through Song of Solomon, they were planning their events. All right, so tonight we're gonna go to the lilies and then tomorrow we're gonna go to the vineyard, right? Like they put it on their calendar. That's okay. This idea that, oh, it has to all be spontaneous like it is in romantic comedies. No, it doesn't. Life is busy. Kids are crazy. Things are hard. Gotta put it up sometimes on the calendar. And then last, embrace that intimacy as God's means of closing the gap, right? He says it's a mystery. It's mystical. It's a union. But it closes the gap between men and women Now, I know that there's a lot more mess in there Probably a lot more challenge But that's where there's grace So I don't expect all of us to be awesome at everything overnight But the heart here is that we begin to move toward Whatever your 1% pressing closer in is Or addressing something Man, I believe God will honor that And God wants to liberate us in this Because God has made this for us So, right now, let's go ahead and just pray together. Jesus, again, there are hundreds of different stories. For every person listening, there's a different story. But we know you are the God over all of our stories. And we ask you to give us wisdom and grace and insight uh, to further the story in such a way that brings healing and wholesomeness and health to our marriages our sexuality, to honor in a way that is honorable to you, to not let it be something that uh, brings damage to us or our psyche or our soul. Uh, We want your very best. And so we ask for your grace in that. Also, I want to encourage that there's anybody in this room and anybody watching where you go man i'm not a christian but i hear this and i know i want jesus to be a part of my life and i want god to be a part of my marriage and god to be a part of my sexuality and everything else you want to take that step to follow him that steps a prayer away for you where you say jesus i have i've been going my own way i've sinned i I have not walked with you but i want you to rescue me save me forgive my sins so that i might walk with you you make that your prayer and your way he hears you brings you in you're part of the family and you're now on the journey And if you make that your decision, man, we want to know. We have a tile in the app. You can let us know, hey, I decided to follow Christ today. We would love to know that. We would love to know that. And Jesus, for all of us that follow you, we look to you to be our strength and our guide in your good name. Amen.